Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We talk some hoops. We have great guests. And as always, I am joined by my man, Chris Dorch of the Blue Ribbon Yearbook. Chris, what's going on? Man, uh, as always, it's been a crazy week since last we spoke. Uh, I'm getting ready to, I'm, I'm trying to put together my syllabus for the sports writing class I teach. But, you know, just trying to pay attention to the schedule and, and what games are being played and what aren't. You know, I, I, um, it's so funny. Yesterday, I looked in my email box and there was a email from the University of Tennessee talking about coordinates and Zoom links for the post game. And then it was immediately followed by, oh, the game's not going to be played. Right. Uh, and going on all over the country as I think the, the holiday season and the travel has really started, uh, as some health experts predicted, uh, we've gotten a backlash and so many more cases, so many more deaths from the virus. Uh, we are not out of the woods with this yet. And it's going to affect not only the NCAA schedule, but I've seen where it's affected the NBA as well. So yeah. it's going to be tough, but I, I think we can get through it. Yeah, hopefully so. You know, it's funny, Chris, uh, Vanderbilt and Tennessee were supposed to play on Tuesday, and that wasn't even the originally scheduled game for either one of those teams. Vanderbilt was supposed to play Missouri at 8 o'clock. Tennessee was supposed to play South Carolina. Missouri and South Carolina both had COVID issues over the weekend, so on Saturday it was announced that Vanderbilt and Tennessee would play back-to-backs. They'd play at 6 o'clock on Tuesday and then again at 5 o'clock in Knoxville on Saturday. Uh, remains to be seen whether the game in Knoxville will happen, but the uh, I started to hear some rumblings Monday night that the uh, the game at Memorial might not happen on Tuesday and they uh, indeed postponed that. Yeah, the postponements, you got to look all, all over the country. Uh, West Virginia and Baylor were postponed. Uh, West Virginia is going to be down for a couple games. Not sure yet about uh, what might happen with Vanderbilt and also in the SEC. South Carolina, Missouri have both been on pause. Uh, you look around the country, Oregon, Nebraska were a couple that I saw. I know Austin P here locally is among the latest. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be really challenging. As far as the uh, on-court results, it was an interesting Tuesday night. You had Michigan ranked number seven. Maybe you should be higher than that. They hammered Wisconsin 77-54. Oklahoma State surprised number six, Kansas 75-70. And Virginia Tech over Duke 74-67. Well, there's a couple of teams that have really surprised me and, and far out uh, outperformed what we thought. Uh, Michigan, if I had it to do over again, would definitely put it in our top 25, but we had so many big tendrils in, in there anyway. It's just like, how do you pick them? It's such yeah. a tough league, but uh, Howard has done a great job. It, it's not typical that, that a, a former player or even an alum who comes from an NBA background without having coached in, in the NCAA at all. It's not typical that they come in and have the success that Jawan Howard has had. And if you look at their schedule, I mean, they've taken on all comers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess they, they were challenged by in-state Oakland, one in overtime. But, but other than that, I mean, I'm just looking at some of these scores. Uh, had a little bit of trouble with Penn State, but you're talking about double-figure wins. And then the way they hammered Wisconsin, that, that made a believer out of me right there. In the SEC, at Alabama continuing its great start in league play. Uh, they're still unbeaten in the SEC. Went into Lexington and won by 20, 85-65 over Kentucky. Alabama, anytime Kentucky looked like it might challenge, they hit a three. 
they had a, a three-pointer waiting for them, 14 out of 30 from long distance. Kentucky had only seven assists and 19 turnovers. Uh, you had Petty and Shackelford combining for 41 points. They did have some injuries that, that might be issues uh, for Alabama. Herbert Jones hurt his hand. Jordan Bruner hurt his knee. I know they were going to have both those players checked out. But in the bigger picture for Alabama, that was a very impressive win. They, you look at some of the games they've won. They've already won in a couple of the hardest, what are typically the hardest road places. It's different this season, the crowds not being what they are. But Alabama has looked the most impressive, I think, of any team I've seen in the SEC uh, through the first couple weeks here. Yeah, I mean – We've talked about this. Uh, I, I, I deliberated long and hard whether I should put Alabama in, in Blue Ribbon's preseason top 25, but I, I thought, man, I just really think they're that good. And then they, they, they got smacked by Stanford in, in the Maui, transplanted to Asheville. And I think that was a weird time for everybody. And maybe Alabama, which had had some COVID issues, uh, even Nate Oates had it. Yeah. Uh, maybe they were slow getting out of the box but now they're performing like the team i thought they could uh, herbert jones has has been oft injured in his career and and it looked like uh might have been he, he had injured his left wrist last year uh, or right wrist whatever it was and looks like a, he's hurt his hand again and i hope that's not a a serious injury that'll keep him out and then bruner the, the transfer from yale the big man I really hope he hasn't hurt his knee. But the thing about Alabama, they're just so aggressive offensively and defensively. And uh, numbers-wise, they're not shooting that great from three, just 33% as a team. But they take so many. Right. Yeah, it's, it's volume shooting, isn't it? It's definitely volume shooting. and But then they'll also go to the rim. Uh, I don't know what their two-point percentage is. I don't have that in front of me. Uh, and they like to take a lot of free throws. And so far, they've attempted uh, 280, uh, which is more than their opponents at 176 have even made. Again, they're not shooting great from the free throw line at 68%, 69 But, man, if, if they can up those averages a little bit and get these injured players back, Javon Quinterly has missed the last couple of games, too. Uh, so... It just shows you the depth that, that Nate Oates has built and his staff have built so quickly that they've been able to withstand. I, I wouldn't have thought they could beat Kentucky by 20, especially after Jones and, and Reese went down. I mean, uh, Bruner went down. But, boy, they've, they've got some, some bodies they can throw out at you. And definitely thoughts uh, with Kentucky after the death of former basketball and baseball player Ben Jordan. He was 22 years old, got that news on Tuesday morning. Uh, he'd walked on the basketball team last season when they needed some help to practice, played in a few games, but then decided he wanted to concentrate on baseball. So uh, certainly we, we pass along our best uh, wishes and thoughts uh, to the Kentucky program, both basketball and baseball there. And uh, as far as Kentucky on the court, I, I thought – they look like they might have turned the corner a little bit in that game against Florida Saturday. They went down to Gainesville and beat them way worse than I might have expected. Watching this team for John Calipari, I don't know that he even knows what he's going to get on a nightly basis with that group. Yeah, it's tough enough as it is the way he runs his program, which is to say pretty much starts from scratch every season. Yeah. But when you throw in these coaches, and they've had, you know, some personnel issues. But they got Keon Brooks back, and I think Dante Allen, is, as I wrote about in our newsletter and we discussed last week, has really added another dimension. So I just think this is more a byproduct of this is what Alabama is going to do to people uh, if, if you're not careful. 
I mean, they out Auburn to Auburn the other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's just that's just how they play. They're they're super aggressive defensively too. They don't really give. Uh, they they get into your grill. They don't give you a chance to kind of relax. So you've got to strap it on when you play the Crimson Tide. Chris, we say this every week. Is any team more fun to watch, though, than number one Gonzaga? They are putting up massive point totals every game. They're averaging 96 points per game. I was looking at the numbers for Corey Kispert. 21 points per game, four rebounds, two assists, 60% overall, 47% from three, and 86% from the foul stripe. That, that's a pretty nice little stat line for anybody, isn't it? That's getting it done. And, you know, he was on Blue Ribbon's first-team All-America team, and uh, – I really never hesitated with with that high of a pick for him. I mean, some people might have said, and I've seen a lot of a lot of prognosticators do this. They'll they'll put a freshman that high, like Jalen Suggs, who, you know, in retrospect, he could probably deserve that too. But Corey Kispert's been there. He's experienced. He's been through the program. He's a typical Gonzaga guy. I mean, goes through next man up. Uh, is experienced. Uh, a heady guy, a guy that can make threes, a guy that competes. That's just how they've built their program. Uh, he's a poster child for Mark Few and and that program. We're actually going to profile Corey Kispert in an upcoming Blue Ribbon report. Uh, so I look forward to reading that. But he's having a great year. And then Drew Timmy, the sophomore uh, big man, uh, has really done a great job. Well, Chris, our guest is here. He is Graham Honecker. He is uh, an executive director at Butler University. A new book called The Cinderella Strategy, The Game Plan Behind Butler University's Rise to Prominence. Graham, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you guys for having me today. Now, you're a longtime Blue Ribbon reader, right? Very long time. I, I've got a note in our book that I didn't really care about Darth Vader or G.I. Joe growing up. I was obsessed with basketball. So I've been getting the Blue Ribbon yearbook for many, many years. I, I still have a box of them that my wife, you know, says, what do you need those for? And I'm like, I still go back through them. And, you know, I read them. So I, I've been a very long sub- subscriber. It's a great, great publication. I was glad to get your email uh, uh, telling me about the book. Uh, we, we we have this weekly podcast, and, and we always like to have on guests. But I've got a – and I think Kevin does too uh, – I've got a fondness for Butler and the program and Hinkle and Hoosiers, the movie. And it just, to me, it's just pure basketball. And, um, you know, the, the way it's supposed to be played and, and the, the fans that, that adore the program. But this was a book whose time had come. Can you talk about the origins of it and, and what compelled you to go ahead and put this down on paper? Yeah, great question came at it from two different angles. So I do have a co-author by the name of Jerry Logan, who lives in Boston, and we came at, at it from different approaches. I'm in my ninth year at Butler, and I was trying to catalog. I started, you know, kind of writing stories about everything I was seeing after the final fours, everything that was going on, where the university really was being transformed. My co-author had no connection whatsoever to Butler. He was doing his dissertation at Boston College, and the thesis was what athletic success could do for an overall university. So he came to Butler three years ago, interviewed about 30 of us. We stayed in contact, and when COVID started, I said, you know, why don't we dive into this idea more? Um, I had a lot of, I had more time on my hands. My wife can tell you I'm not very good when I have time on my hands. Mm -hmm. So we dove into that project and just 
every day we're cranking on it. But the motivations, Chris, a couple of them, you know, really did want to go deeper into the Butler story, which goes back decades. It didn't just start with those two final fours. And I would say we're not perfect at Butler. We're close. We're not perfect. But I wanted to showcase a, you know, I think we do things the right way. We do things the right way. At least we try. And, you know, as you guys know, it's been a little bit of a dark time in college basketball with you know, the recruiting high-profile programs under a cloud of investigation. Wanted to showcase that. And then on the university side, this has been a really hard time for small private liberal arts schools, made even tougher with the pandemic. Wanted to showcase and maybe give optimism to other small schools and be a beacon of light. I think we all need a shot of positivity right now. And so I'm hoping the book you know, offers that. And then the final aspect of it was, it's hard to believe, but this is the 10-year anniversary of those two final fours. And I thought now's a good time to showcase this story and, and something I think the Butler community can take pride in. Our guest is Graham Honecker uh, from Butler University's new book's called The Cinderella Strategy, The Game Plan Behind Butler University's Rise to Prominence. Graham, Graham to me, the, the, the remarkable thing about those two years is not just that Butler made it once, is that they made it back and, and had another chance to win. It, it's just crazy. Uh, I was at the Final Four in 2010 and, and was there on that Saturday. I didn't get to go to the championship game, but I was there on that Saturday, and that, that was such a cool thing to to see in person. In the bigger picture for the university, was there any way to put a dollar figure on what those two final four runs meant to the school? Yeah, and we have a chapter really that dives into the the metrics of what it meant over the last decade. So the first one was those two final fours, and I agree with you, that little bit of a separation piece. There have been some other great Cinderella's, George Mason, VCU, Loyola, Chicago. The differentiator for Butler was that second final four, which was – which was a crazy one. We had lost Gordon Hayward in February. We were very much in danger of missing the tournament altogether. So that was, you know, in a way that was more of the Cinderella team than 2010. 2010 was a pretty good team. (laughs) Gordon Hayward, Mm -hmm. Shelvin Mack. But anyway, to answer your question, those two final fours, we had a PR firm value the earned media attention that those gave us. They came up with 1.2 billion with a B of what you would have to pay to get that attention. In terms of metrics, so I'm on the fundraising side at Butler. Our endowment has grown $100 million in the last 10 years. We have had three of our best fundraising years on record. We secured our largest gift ever from one family who had no connection to Butler, $25 million. Perhaps the most striking thing have been applications. And applications, again, for small private liberal arts schools have gone down over the past decade. We've trended the opposite. So when I started at Butler in 2012, we were getting about 6,500 applications. Two years ago, we had 17,000. We just enrolled our third largest class in the midst of a pandemic. And the demographic also shifted as well. When I started, we were 60% in-state, 40% out-of-state, completely flipped. And so with the move to the Big East, now you see – more students coming from New York and Boston and D.C. Those are just a few of the metrics. One other one, we've added 1.2 million square feet in terms of new facility space, which would not have been possible building these new buildings, again, going back to the fundraising. Those are a few numerical uh, statistical measures showing the impact of the Final Fours. 
Graham, speaking of uh, facilities, you guys did a really reverent restoration of Hinkle, and you had to be careful because that's kind of like taking the Mona Lisa, you know, and cleaning it up and dusting it off and, and making sure it's preserved. You you wanted to do the right thing there, right? And And you definitely did. We did, and I guess that's another metric. We put we put forty five million dollars into Hinkle over the past seven years, and you're right, Chris. It's a fine line of preserving your history and your heritage, but we needed to put some of the new bells and whistles in. Our old weight room, most of the coaches would not show recruits <laughs> because their high school weight room was better. Um, so we needed those new, you know, venues. But, and I give Barry Collier, our former coach and current athletic director, a lot of credit. From the get-go, he was adamant that we're going to stay true to who we are with, with how we do this. And I give the architects and the, the engineers a lot of credit for making that possible. Our guest is Graham Honecker. His book is called The Cinderella Strategy, the game plan behind Butler University's rise to prominence. How can you make the most of this NCAA tournament that will be played entirely in Indianapolis this March, including in your building? Yeah, it's really pretty awesome. I think Indiana is the perfect, again, I'm biased, but Indiana is the perfect state to do this and had the ability to turn it around pretty quickly. Because of the venues we have, we're fortunate in a short radius to have Assembly Hall in Bloomington, Mackey Arena, you know, Purdue, obviously Lucas Oil, uh, Banker's Life, and then, of course, Hinkle, which I'm really excited about because – Unfortunately, the state title game went away in the early 70s uh, at Hinkle. And if you look back at those crowds, they're unbelievable. You know, you mm-hmm. pack to the rafters. So I think it's neat, again, for a really prominent occasion in the, in the, um, with the tournament coming back. You know, the question is how many, how many people will be there? Um, you know, I know families will be allowed. I think the NCAA's got a tough decision in terms of, you know, how, how they cap the spectator piece, but, it's a great thing, and I know we'll do a good job at Butler. Uh, as far as the book's concerned, I know it'll be in the bookstore by then. <laughs> but, you know, really exciting for Indianapolis, and hopefully we'll be able to pull off a really good tournament. I was going to ask, uh, Graham, as, as one who, who hawks a, a book or two himself, uh, when will the book be available? I think you said it was it was published in March. Will it be in the traditional channels, the Amazons, the – the Barnes and Nobles and the like? Yes, it can be ordered right now on Barnes and Nobles website, you know, just by putting in the Cinderella strategy or on pediment.com. Pediment Publishing is our primary publisher. I, I'll be honest, I'm not sure exactly when it goes on to Amazon. I think pretty shortly after that, but it will be available. It's available through those channels right now. And a little plug, you can get it a little cheaper if you order it right now. And then, uh, yeah, it'll it'll ship March 1st, which hard to believe is not that far away. Graham, thank you so much for the time. Good luck with the book. Uh, it's really interesting material, and uh, that, that those two final four runs are so much fun to watch. And it's, it was great for me to, to go do a game at Hinkle Fieldhouse with, with Belmont a few years ago. So good luck to you, and we appreciate you joining us for a few minutes. Guys, I can't thank you enough. I really admire what you do for college basketball and your publication. Honored to be here today.
That was Graham Honecker, uh, an executive director at Butler University, and his new book is called The Cinderella Strategy, The Game Plan Behind Butler University's Rise to Prominence. So uh, very interesting material uh, based around Butler's two final four appearances in 2010 and in 2011, including the uh, the near miss when Gordon Hayward almost won the championship against Duke with that uh, long heave of the buzzer that, that just barely missed. I mean, that, you, you think about how it, it might have been even more remarkable had that ball gone in in Indianapolis. What was that science show that ESPN used to have? Uh, sports they science. Did, yeah, and they analyzed it, and that shot missed by a shoelace tip, mm-hmm. by, by the tip of a shoelace. Uh, and, man, when, when you start thinking about the possibilities, I was actually seated. Uh, press row uh, was still uh, at courtside back in those days, and I was seated behind the Duke bench. Man, those guys on the Duke team, they like about had a heart attack. <laughs> it seemed like as Haywood shot kind of arced and went through the air. But yeah, that show was so interesting. It it showed the arc and the speed, and it missed by the tip of a shoelace. Chris, as we uh, head toward the finish line on our show here, I think if we're giving a player of the week, it might be Austin Pease, Terry Taylor. We profiled him before the season. He had his eighth double-double of the season at Eastern Illinois with 38 points and 17 rebounds. Included in that was a game-winning banked-in three at the buzzer for a 74-71 win. So as long as we're talking about buzzer beaters, there's one for Terry Taylor. He went 16 of 31, 3 of 5 from 3. He now has 50 career double-doubles and his 15th OVC Player of the Week award this past week. So uh, another uh, tip of the cap to Terry Taylor of Austin P. who's just having a remarkable career. He really is, and the, the thing about what he does on the boards, he's not that tall. And uh, that's just want to right there. You are born to be a rebounder or you're not. Uh, I'm not saying that you can't learn to be a rebounder, but the best ones mm-hmm. are the ones that have a relentless pursuit of the ball. And that's this kid all over. And, of course, as you said, he scores any way he wants to. So, we always like to shine a spotlight on on players from so-called mid-majors that are really getting it done. Uh, I don't know if he's got a future at, at any next level, but I sure hope he can make money playing the game because he's fun to watch. I hope he can, too. And I had fun visiting with him before the season. He was telling me on rebounding that he would miss shots on purpose and warm-ups just so he could get the rebound and, and sort of – get the feel for the angles and the caroms and, and all that stuff. And he would, in, instead of taking shots uh, of his own sometimes, either before practice or before games, he would just go rebound for his teammates, and that helped him, you know, get that feel for uh, when the game arrived and it was time to, to do it for real. Uh, other news, uh, the NCAA Division One Council delayed votes on proposed rule changes, including allowing athletes to take money for endorsements related to their name, image, likeness, the NIL stuff we've talked a lot about. And they also pushed back a vote on looser restrictions for transfers. I guess the question I have, Chris, where does all this go from here? Uh, that is a great question. Uh, as far as the likeness, I, I'm for that 100%, but I, I – I can see why they might have tabled it because it can present as many problems as it fixes. Uh, what about jealousy in the locker room and things like that? And, and what about, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Those, uh, uh, offers might, might border on, I mean, one, one player could get a great offer and then the next player gets none. 
I think they've got a pretty good deal as it is with the scholarship and everything paid for. Uh, but, uh, yeah, with the money they bring in, they should get a little piece of that action for sure. As far as the transfers, I think that the NCAA has already said that this year is a wash, that anybody uh, that's a senior can come back uh, or, or everybody has an extra year of eligibility. So I think they were wise to kick that can down the road for a while. And let's see how that shakes out before we start. Uh, it's going to be the wild, wild west. I mean, yeah. we've talked about this off the air. We've already seen instances of in, in the COVID era when kids have been at home and maybe some of their hometown schools have been able to get to them. Tampering goes on, make no mistake about it. Uh, so I think it, it was good to kick that decision uh, back a little while. And, and let's see how this whole thing is going to shake out. We'll see where they go from here. Chris, uh, we'll do it again next week. Always great doing the podcast with you. I appreciate the time and, and good health to you and your family, of course. Same to you, buddy. Thanks. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. This is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast, and we will talk to you next time.